mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diane. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling phantasmatic. What? Yes, I what know you can't really describe yourself as phantasmatic. Well, you just did. But I know I did, hon. But <laughs> I love that word. Um, and it's, it's this idea of fantasy, which is spelt with a PH. And we are currently in London, in North London, very close to Old Street, at the most incredible gallery. And it's somewhere that you and I have been coming to since the beginning of our interest in art. We've seen amazing shows here by all kinds of artists like Chris Ophelia, um Celia Paul. Tal R. Tal R. Paul Arrego. Chantal Joffe, who I adore. Um, and today we are here for the second time with um, someone that we interviewed at the beginning of the pandemic, who Russell discovered very early on and in the past five years has had a rise to superstardom. And the reason I talk about Phantasmatic is because alongside this um, free exhibition, which you can come and visit at Victoria Miro Gallery, um, is the beautiful um, pamphlet that um, has a text by the psychologist and writer Hannah Bear, who I adore, and you must follow Hannah if you don't already. And this term fantasy with a PH is often used by psychoanalysts to mean an imaginative fulfillment of frustrated wishes, conscious or unconscious. Um, and, you know, people like Freud have mentioned this in the past, but I've noticed lately a lot of psychologists are kind of thinking about, and psychoanalysts thinking about this word fantasy, in particularly in terms of the unconscious mind. And I think that is a kind of under pinning what this this new show of paintings is so we are very excited to welcome one of our dear friends and artist that is in our top artist of all time the one and only doron langberg hi guys hi, hi. doron <laughs> how are you i am good uh we had the opening of the show last night uh so still still recovering it was really a beautiful um, a beautiful night. It was packed. Did you know a lot of the people who were there? Um, I knew a few, but I feel like it's always fun to come to London because um, there's always so many new faces. Mm. Lots of young painters, which I loved talking to. Um, yeah, it was really... I, I felt like I was um, very, very, very well received. It was well received. And we had an incredible dinner afterwards. It was a humongous long table. I think there was 80 guests, predominantly queer people, which was lovely. I mean, that it was such a celebration of you and you're surrounded by so much love and, and like kindness and great feelings for you. And that plays out in the work, people coming to the work. 
do you feel like there's a correlation between the energy that you have from your friends and lovers and the work? I mean, I think they come, the work comes from that. Um, the work is really, for me, my paintings are always kind of a direct um, expression of my environment and of my experiences and my community. Um, and I think that this body of work especially is maybe the most community-focused body of work that, that I've made. Do you consider an audience when you make the paintings? I feel like I usually don't. Oh, um, really? In the sense that up until now, I feel like the subject matter that I was working with was on one hand kind of undeniably queer in terms of where it's coming from, but I felt that it's talking to universal experiences of desire and sex and friendship and family and closeness and relationships. Um, and this was really the first time that I made a body of work that kind of spoke to a more specific experience. And actually, I was, I was wondering, will it resonate? Because in a way, not. I don't know if everyone has those experiences of um, going out and feeling connected to other people on the dance floor. So I was really curious to see how it would be um, received. I actually feel like that is a really, you know, it can be a really universal experience. Mm. And even though there's, there's a specificity to these nightclubs, I know there's a few particular nightclubs in Fire Island that are actually like documented in this show, which, you know, I've never even visited as a gay man from the UK. Like I've never been there yet, but I'm hoping to go next year. But I feel like nightclubs do bring people together. And if you think of like, you know, all kinds of different genres of music. There's so many different communities. And I was also thinking a lot about the paintings of Denzel Forrester, you know, who's mm. from a completely different background in a different community, different era. But there's this kind of concept within paintings. I love having that, this, the idea of sound. And I, and, I, and I think the bodies together, dancing and the movement and light and all of these things that you, when you're in a nightclub, you're not actually taking it in. And there's something so beautiful to see it in a, in a, in a painted form. Yeah, Denzel's work, I was looking at a lot when I was making this body of work. Yeah, I mean, I think formally, um, I, you know, the, the works are very different, but I think he's so incredible at kind of capturing the sense of music, like music and movement. Um, and it's, it almost feels like the rooms are vibrating and he's so great at capturing the movement of the people. It almost, the room itself is vibrating with, um, with the dancing movements. Uh, so that was really inspiring. I think there's also a sense of belonging and c kind of love within his paintings, which I also see in your paintings. There's yeah. this real sense that like, these are people you care about, even if you've just met them and they're strangers. There's some kind of like unsaid connection, you know, some kind of bond, which is so present in so much of the work. And there's a tenderness to the way that you paint those people. Um, which I think is similar to Denzel as well, because I think there's such a sense of belonging through nightclubs. It's that idea of coming together and communing yeah. and, um, and community in a, in, in a way. But for me, I, I love this idea of like some kind of religious context. Like, and I don't mean religious as in like a, a doctrine or something. I mean more like coming together in like a church. They always say a church is like the people. It's not the building they're in. And it's meant to be kind of not about material or something. And I feel that nightclubs are kind of like that because they're these buildings that, that have their specificity and they, they have a feeling and an aura and atmosphere. But actually it's about the people coming together. And it's that that's the magic, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, to me, I think that I that was really what I kind of discovered starting to go out after the pandemic 
um, that these spaces are about bringing people together in a way that's so different from the outside world that really is only possible within this space. Um, and I think what you were kind of talking about in, in your intro, it kind of offers um, a possibility for community that you can then kind of take with you to the outside world. Mm. Uh, so in that sense, I think it's, they're, they're really kind of rarefied spaces. How do you document these scenes? Because Denzel would go to the clubs with a pad and pencils and stand in the DJ booth or we'd stand at the back and actually do it like plein air. I don't know if you can say that within a club because it's not on the outside, but <laughs> how do you do it? Is it is a lot of imagination needed or do you work with models or are you actually there with a sketchbook in these dark rooms? And <laughs> I actually didn't know that he did that. That's amazing. Yeah. I was thinking of doing that, but I was like, no, I can't be like the creepy guy like with like a, a sketchbook while in the you know, corner of a dark room exactly yeah. while people are you know living their lives um next to me um so a lot of memory because you can't take images in these spaces which i think also makes them um quite magical like you don't know what the interior um of like those parties are until you actually go to them mm. um so i think that you know i would i would go out and um have these moments that stayed with me the next day and then I would have friends come to studio and would recreate some scenes and paint them from observation um or even like go on Instagram to like tagged photos mm. of the party like photos that other people took or posted um or you know stories and so I was doing a lot of like Instagram trolling to find um you know architectural information and what exactly did the, did the like look like um but also I think over time I, I discovered that I didn't need that much concrete information because so much of it was about kind of capturing a certain kind of atmosphere um, that I think just the paint handling could kind of deliver on its own as opposed to, you know, where was the column in the space. But also there's that freedom of imagination and memory. And I think that's quite a beautiful thing in painting. It doesn't have to be like the exact accurate depiction of something. It's more about a feeling or a trace of something. You know what I mean? Like, do, do, do you yeah, think well, memories... Traces is, I would use that word exactly <clears throat> for the way that you paint is that you have traces of emotion that say so much. You, mm. you like you make one line and it already says something quite sexy or something quite romantic and just like a light brushstroke. That's the skill that you have. Is that something you've always been aware of? Or was that something you've really had to allow yourself to reduce the mark making? Um, I think in this, in this body of work, the marks are actually quite different from before. Mm. I think the, the, last, the last body of work that I made that was in um, Freeze LA, the show that we did, uh, that I did with Victoria Miro, um, I almost gave myself kind of an exercise to trust myself um, and not edit in the process. Um, and the work that came out of it was very fluid and free and gestural and quick. Um, and I think that that was kind of a process that I was working towards, I would say for years, uh, being able to um, have a painting come together within just a few sessions and with you know almost as little information as possible, just kind of relying on the speed and um, the expressiveness of the mark. And I think with this, with this body of work, it was almost kind of a, um, a shift where I really wanted more from the paintings. I wanted them to be more dense. I wanted them to be completely painted, like, you know, from corner to corner. 
um, they had to be a lot darker for the light to communicate. So I think in a way, actually, I kind of went against my own materiality in yeah. this body of work. Um, and But I learned so much. But that's what's so great about this show. That's what I think is really interesting about you as an artist, is that instead of like repeating yourself, which... You know, it hasn't been, when we first met you, we were, we were saying earlier in like March 2020, yeah. when we first ever spoke to you on Talk Art, which was, I think, just around the beginning of the pandemic. And mm. maybe you were part of that pandemic season we did. But um, at that point, you were making work. And it's not that long ago, really. I mean, so much has happened to you. I feel like it, it could have been a whole lifetime in the past yeah, four or five years. years. Yeah. Um, I feel like the whole of your, you're in museums <clears throat> now around the world. Like everything's transformed for you in terms of a career um, and that kind of solid support you now have. But what I'm really impressed by is how quickly you're able to develop and push yourself and not just be um, confident to continue in what was an amazing body of work mm. and repeat it. Instead, you're really fascinated with pushing paint somewhere else. And I came to the studio in New York recently and I was just like blown you away saw by these works. Didn't yeah, you? yeah, in yeah. The... In the early stages of them. And I remember thinking like, this is something so different. I didn't recognize it as you even. And I love, where do you find that kind of bravery to, because it's scary, you know, to try something new. <laughs> this body of work was pretty scary yeah. for me. Also, the scale of it is, is quite different. Um, I mean, I've always been drawn to working large, but this is very, very large. <laughs> um, like, I think the largest painting is six meters. Mm. Um, and that took months. And there's maybe like five, painter, five paintings underneath that painting because um, I just kept repainting it and repainting it. Um, so I think in a way, it's, it's for me, it was just following... Um, a certain impulse and then once that process was in motion I had all these painting pro painting problems to solve and then it was really a matter of just following the painting and kind of listening to what the painting what's needed. the painting problem what would they be um for example like I was saying before like I want to paint a club this has to be dark um I wanted it to feel more dense as opposed to kind of more um you know, gestural and quick. So even just those two propositions um, really prescribed a completely different way of thinking, which I didn't really understand when I was set out to that process. Um, but I think as I was painting, I was kind of like, it was a process of um, kind of discovering what it is that I even wanted through painting. So I feel like I didn't even necessarily intend for them to be different, but I think that just by making slight changes um, in my process, they ended up in a completely different place. When it comes to the figures, just to go back to that, so imagination is being used, but you predominantly work with models. You like all the figures to be based on friends and people that you care about. That's important to you that in all of these paintings, there exists your autobiography. I think for me, it's less about the idea of autobiography. Um, I don't think that that is, there's, yeah, there's not a lot of um, my own life that I'm interested in describing just for the sake of it. It's more just that that's what I have access to um, and that's what I respond to emotionally um, the strongest. So I think that for me when I, you know, going out and, and seeing my friends and having these like ecstatic moments with them was so impactful um, it really just made sense to paint them. Um, whereas I feel like I wouldn't have had that experience with um, people that I wasn't close with or that I did not have a connection with. So it's almost using the relationship or using the connection to other people 
as material in the painting in the same way that I use paint. Um, so kind of that is, that is the, really the entire inspiration is my connection to other people. I kind of liked the time capsule nature of these paintings. And I think uh, even seeing people like Oscar Yeeho appear in one of the yeah. uh, big With his paintings. top off, he's always got his top off. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got a fantastic he, body. So he's such enough. a hunk. Oh my God. He is a proper <laughs> hunk. And such also Salman Tour appears in the one which is the walk home from the club um, in the kind of dunes. Um, dunes, yeah, within nature. And it was so interesting even to see him within that green context because that painting is a completely different... Oh, Oh, totally. Yeah, I did not even think about that. That's yeah. so funny. I only thought about this morning, actually. I didn't think about it when I was in front of it, but I was suddenly like, oh, yeah, there he is in his the green Salmon's universe. Green. Yeah, Salman's green. Um, yeah, but it's really beautiful to see other artists and yourself depicted, you know, being hugged in a very tender way in the middle of a dance floor. Is it important to you to kind of, you know, represent those people, that kind of community of artists? I think that was um, maybe a happy accident. Um, really, yeah. Yeah, because I feel, you know, as a painter, so many of my friends are other painters, and um, apparently we love to dance. So <laughs> I feel like I've seen, you know, I've, I've been seeing Oscar on the dance floor. Um, another friend is Constance Tenvik. That was, um, we met when um, I was in Berlin years ago. She, was, she, went to, she went to Yale, but kind of a few years after me. And then we ran into each other at Basement. So I think there's just kind of this extended community that... Um, also exists in this like parallel world of the dance floor that um, I felt compelled to depict. Yeah, you introduced us to Oscar Yuho. He's also gone on this incredible trajectory in the last Amazing. like four He's years. So, yeah, such a prodigy. So young. <laughs> do you um do you ever get asked to do like commissions with strangers? In is that something that you'd find hard to do? I do get asked, um, which is funny to me because I feel like really the core of my work is my connection to other people. So it, it doesn't quite make sense. Um, I think with commissions, it's usually like a lose-lose. Like the people that are interested in my work that want me to depict them don't, it's not, I'm not able to, to deliver the thing that they're imagining because it's based on a relationship that we don't have necessarily. Um, so yeah, I never. It's really also their that. artwork. They should go make it rather than you if they're imagining it in their head. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, use it as inspiration. Yeah, <laughs> but you did recently collaborate with a musician, and uh, which ended up on a record sleeve, which I think actually started out as paintings that you made. I saw them in the studio. Um, can you speak a bit about that uh, collaboration? Because that was a real life connection you had with a. Yeah, with Omar. Um, so actually, Jonathan Anderson, uh, that we all know and love, um, connected. Um, me and Omar Apollo and mm. I just got a DM from Omar and I was like oh my god like you know loving his music I was um, a bit starstruck um, and he was like oh can I come to the studio and can we chat uh, so I had kind of an inkling of maybe what he was you know wanting to, to talk about um, but we had a, a great conversation he's so so sweet such a compelling um, sensitive guy and when he proposed to do the album cover I was really excited because I think with him you know like listening to his music was a way to get to know him mm. um, I kind of felt I already had an insight into who he was and his interiority um, so it wasn't really like kind of encountering a stranger um, but we did I told him like we need to kind of spend a little bit of time together before I can make something that will be meaningful um, so he came to the studio and then actually I came to his studio um, and he played music for me. Oh, and he, wow. He was working on a song while I was there. And Would I, you paint him while you were in? 
No, no, no. I was just hanging out with him and wow. kind of his crew. He's yeah. based in New York then, is he? Or he Brooklyn? Was, I, I feel like he's based in all over, like LA okay. and London and New York. He's very itinerant. He's like a tra- tra- traveling musician around the world. He is. It's so hard <laughs> to pin him down. Um, but he was in New York at the time and... I've never really seen a musician work in real time. And it was really magical. Just like it kind of came out of him in this like um, really beautiful way. So that was just a really touching experience. Um, And he's just so talented. So I think that seeing him in his kind of like creative place and for him to come to my studio, I feel like gave us enough context for me to make the painting when I first heard about it I was a bit like how is a painting going to translate onto a tiny image on a digital sense and then I realized that vinyl and records and LPs are back now and they're selling like hotter than digital downloads do you know what I mean everyone's trying to get them so when you actually see the actual object it's a really beautiful thing because it's almost like the size of a painting it's not quite but but the 12 inch vinyl you know the actual the sleeve itself um, I think it ended up being a really sort of important object really yeah I was so I was so happy with it I mean I told him when we started I was like look this might not work out so let's just try it and see what the painting looks like and if you like it we can kind of proceed and um and also you know there's a, the controversial back cover I know the back cover <laughs> I know it's provocative yeah his <laughs> erect penis yeah I mean he's and it was his idea um and I was like yeah well you know it's it's very much within my practice so we can definitely try that um, that, was that a quick painting or a slow painting? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was from observation. Right. So, um, no, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a fun day at studio. Um, we, we made both paintings at the same day. Um, yeah. Amazing. Congrats. So when we first started talking, neither me or Rob had been to Fire Island. Now, I have been lucky enough to go to Fire Island. I was filming there for a few weeks. We hung out. I saw you on the beach. Oh, yeah, American Horror Story. American Horror Story was shooting there. But I first went there because uh, when I was filming in New York, monkeypox was the thing. And the only place that they had the vaccines was Fire Island. So the first time I went to Fire Island was to get a monkeypox <laughs> vaccine. And then we went swimming the sea. And it was pretty amazing, actually. <clears throat> but Fire Island is such a huge, huge thing for you as a person, but you as an artist. Can you explain what it is about Fire Island and why this theme of this location plays out throughout the whole of your practice? It's funny with Fire Island because I think that actually making this body of work about um, clubs was also was almost kind of the first time that I understood also in a deeper way what about Fire Island actually really resonated for me. Cause I think that there's a lot in common between those kind of the, the club space and Fire Island. Um, and I think to me, it's really the idea that it's spaces that queer people create to be with each other. Mm. Um, and I think that Fire Island, besides being just like such a beautiful natural space is really, um, so many people that are there feel at their most free, um, free like to express themselves, free with each other. Um, so I think that it's such a contrast to kind of being in 
the everyday, like heteronormative world. Um, and that was something that really struck me when I went there for the first time is that sense of freedom. Um, and I think I kind of found that sense of freedom again within the club space. Mm. So I see a lot of parallels between those two two spaces. It's when really you- interesting, the idea of the club space as well and, and the Fire Island itself being these kind of constructions that allow kind of role play or allow a liberation of, of a sort, you know, j- just through the construct of it. And it got me thinking about like rules as an artist. Like if you develop your own language and your own syntax as a, as a painter, you sort of have these rules that then within those rules, you can just run free and it kind of unlocks all this unconscious, um, you know, way to paint. And that's kind of how someone can push what they do. Um, I find it really interesting, that kind of connection somehow. And this whole idea of fantasy that we spoke about in the intro, like, and uh, this unconscious desire or this unconscious um you know knowledge that we all have and i think you know you were talking about him making music as well when you sing and you're writing a song it's it's almost like they call it the muse (laughs) you know it's like and i imagine it's a bit like that with painting too where you just sort of unlock something and you channel some sort of unconscious i think as you're talking um you know it makes me think also of the like you're saying the painting process and i think that for me feeling free within my own work is also extremely important um, and for the viewer to kind of feel that freedom as well. Um, so I think that, yeah, finding finding a space that feels truly liberated, whether it's like within the studio or with other people, um, is really is kind of at the core of a lot of what um, I'm trying to get at. Rob was saying in the intro about Fire Islands disappearing. And for you, for someone that documents Fire Island so much in your art, is that something that you're really aware of and that you have this limited time now to live this life there? It's pretty shocking. I mean, I feel like a lot of us were not prepared for what we're seeing on Instagram and like kind of people that are there during the year, not just the summer, kind of posting these images of the erosion of the beach and the dunes um, and how like, you know, the water is already reaching um, the beachfront properties and it is the idea that like wait could this all go away um, is pretty shocking and devastating obviously because it's such an important space for so many of us um, but I mean climate change has affected so 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 many communities this is just one of them uh, that happens to kind of touch me personally but you know the, the effects are worldwide your work has been described as exploring queer subjectivity. What is that exactly? Um, good question. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like for me, in kind of previous bodies of work, it's been important to represent different aspects of my life, whether it's how I relate to my family, how I relate to the landscape that I'm familiar with, like, you know, where I grew up or Fire Island, um, relating to a partner, very sexual imagery um, that kind of, you know, has to do with like desire and pleasure, friendship. So I think that the idea of queer subjectivity for me was describing um, not just something that could be identified as queer by the outside world, but every aspect of my lived experience and that an aggregate kind of creates a subject um, that comes from, 
you know, a, that describes a queer experience, but doesn't necessarily only pertains to things that are, you know, uh, strictly about sex. When we first met you, um, Lisa Yuskavage, uh, we talked about her a lot, and we can go back on that, where she gave you, like, a colour boot camp, oh, yeah. and you, and which was amazing. And that was... Um, prior to you that just while you was uh, learning while you was in education since then have there been other artists that you have come into your orbit that you've sort of like we talked about Angela Neckai Crosby are there other artists that you've had that sort of um critique with or that sort of momentum with to push your work forward as much as they had an effect on you yeah it's funny because I think you know that there's a different relationship between a professor and a student and then kind of my life now, which is, you know, existing in the community of artists. Um, and there's definitely people that I, um, I would say almost depend on in my studio that I wouldn't be able to oh, really? kind of make, yeah, to, you, you know, I run every painting by them. Um, so my very good friend, Gabby Collins Fernandez, that is a brilliant painter. And she actually wrote the essay for the Rotterdam show that's about to open, which I'm very grateful for. But we're like each other's like painting coaches. Um, so I would send her, you know, every we used to share a space, but now we're in separate spaces. So we text a lot and I share her. I share images with her. And sometimes she would come and I would be like, Gabby, like, like, for example, with the painting of Merge that um, is in the show. That's a club night, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Uh, Merge is a, um, a party that happens a few times a year in New York every few months. Um, and it's super queer, super fluid. And that was kind of the, the first party that really inspired this body of work. Um, but because it was the first painting, I was just, it took months and I was struggling with it and it was just not working. Um, and, you know, I sat down with Gabby and she really helped me organize it. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it takes a village to make paintings um, and I, I can't do it on my own. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So um, we're very privileged to be talking to uh, a certain someone who we would love you to introduce yourself and tell us where we are and why we're here, please. Um, I'm Victoria Miro and I'm the owner of Victoria Miro Gallery in, and I'm in the Wharf Road building and I am here to present the work of the great Doran Langberg and Doran was an artist that was recommended to Glenn, my, my business partner and I, 
um, by Enstecker and Cunili Crosby. Mm. And we did look at the work quite a long time ago, but we, it was really just a couple of snapshots and we didn't take it too seriously. But then with time, and I think Glenn made a studio visit, an early studio visit, and then he told me, no, we really, really must see the work. And eventually I went to Doran's studio, which was quite small and absolutely packed full of work, but I knew it was something really special. Um, at first, I thought that, the, that his use of colour I found quite challenging, quite difficult. But then I realised that was something really that nobody else had really done before. And the use of paint was extraordinary as well. So Glenn and I <laughs> were very excited. And then we offered Doran his first show. And now we come to the second big show in the gallery. And it's made an exceptional body of work. Um, there are two floors in the gallery. And the ground floor are all nightclub night paintings in very, very strong purples and reds and night colours, quite dark, but with wonderful light coming in. And the upstairs are mostly day paintings with a completely different feel, daylight colours, very, very different. But they're amazing paintings, and if you have the chance, do come and see them. Mm. I think that's really good advice, actually, because I think yes. with Duron's work, it's a bit like in the early days when you discovered it. You actually yes. have to go and sit in front of it because the reproductions of it, you just don't no, get the you sense don't, of atmosphere. You don't get it from the reproductions. And when Eshteka first showed us, I think, we, to be honest, we were not blown away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, was, it was not till we actually made the studio visits. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes find that as well. You see things and you just sort of don't really think much about it. And then once you actually suddenly see the object in front of you, which is the whole point of painting. Absolutely. You know, being All in front art, of yeah. things. So I do urge people to come and to come and see this show for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Victoria. Thank what you. a pleasure to talk to you. Hi, I'm Glenn Scott Wright and I'm a partner in the Victoria Mirror Gallery. I run the gallery with Victoria and we, um, uh, we pretty much do the programme together, so we look at artists and discuss artists for the, for, for the gallery and, 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 and you know, try and um, look all the time for, for, for new talent. So I guess uh, coming to Doron was, was um, part of that process. How did you discover his work? Well, um, I think I told you the story yesterday, Russ. It was quite, quite funny because every time I went to Enchdecker, at Keneally Crosby studio, we've, we've represented Enchdecker for about 11 years now. She would say to me when she was struggling with the painting, um, I really can't resolve this work and I don't know what to do. And if Doran Langbert were, were here, he would know, he would know how, to, how to solve this painting problem. And I kept thinking to myself, who the hell is Doran Langberg? I've never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then uh, Enchdecker was honored at the Hirshhorn Gala a few years ago. And she brought, she brought Doran as her guest, I think. That's the first time we met, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought, okay, he seems you know, like a sweet guy. But I was preoccupied with my other guests at the table, etc. We talked a little bit, but not too much. 
And then I think it was the following year I was in New York and there was an exhibition at Yoshi Miller's gallery, which um, I noticed and I saw the name Doran Langberg. So I thought, okay, I will pop in. I will see Enchdecker's friend's work and I will send Enchdecker a little note saying, so your friend's work, lovely show. Thank you very much for telling me about him. <laughs> and, you know, it'll be done. And I walked in and I was completely blown away by the work, which was not what I had been expecting. So instead of uh, sending Enchdecker a polite text, I called her up and said, how the hell do I see this guy's studio? Like, give me his number, I want to go to the studio. Followed up with a studio visit and of course, completely fell in love with, with the work and with Doron. And it was very, it was very funny because I, I think um, the first studio visit I did with you, all you, you, all you did was talk about Celia Paul. And I think that sort, sort of, is also indicative of Doron's very generous nature in, in, in terms of how he values and supports other artists. So there I was doing a studio visit with him, which presumably was important to you, I think, <laughs> you know, coming from a sort of, you know, relatively well-known well uh, European gallery and coming to the studio and you were busy sort of talking about how fantastic Celia Paul was for almost the entire time I was there. <laughs> uh, Celia then, Paul's an artist that Victoria Miro yeah, we, we, we represent. We yeah. represent Celia as well. So... Um, and then I and then I called Victoria and said, "Look, Victoria, this guy's fantastic. We we should we should go to the studio." And we did. This was, I think, not long before the. Um, it was just so it was just before the pandemic hit. Like it was the the week before. I think everything the the world closed down. Yes, it was March twenty twenty, and we both agreed that he was wonderful. Uh, we came back to London. The whole world closed down. But then we continued the dialogue and I think did a couple of maybe Zoom studio visits, etc. And, and made a fairly quick decision to, um, to, sh to show Doran and represent his work. And we've never looked back. Can you pinpoint why exactly you connected to Doran's work? Just because, um, I mean, he's a fantastic painter, but also there's something very original in the way that he uses paint. And I think, you know, from that first studio visit from the show, I, I, I saw at Yoshi Miller's, the first studio visit, um, the exhibition that we did at the gallery two years ago, then we did a solo presentation at Freeze LA last year. To this show, the work is constantly evolving. Like, he is always pushing his vocabulary as a painter, and he's he's always trying something different. And, and I, I, you don't often see that, mm. you know, like, people will often find their niche as an artist and they will you know, con continue, be, be comfortable there and continue to develop work, the, the work along you know, the, the lines of what has been successful for them. Whereas I think Doran is constantly trying to kind of push himself and, and, and find, um, to extend the boundaries for his work. And I think that that's what makes him so good, really. <laughs> I was also struck because you moved studio, didn't you? So the studio that I came to was a new one and it's much, much bigger, which kind of enabled this. Did you see the studio before that was in Times Square? No, I didn't go to that one. Yeah, you I went to that one, didn't you? That one, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it enabled this expansion in scale. That was right. It was off Times Square, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, 
the thing that struck me as well was all your books because you had like the kind of history of art and you had these huge kind of Caravaggio books or just all these different artists and I felt like do you ever go and sit and look at those books if you're having moments of struggle or something just to like, like get Bernard, your head you out had of Pierre your own... Bernard was a big thing wasn't it yeah for sure um and I love I love my books and they were kind of like in storage prison for a long time yes. and I was able to like bring them when I got a bigger studio I was like okay now all, all my children can come back to the studio um, and like and I can live with them um, and I, I do I do look at them but I feel like it's books that I've collected for since I was like I don't know 11 uh, like the first books that you know I, I my parents bought me um, like the complete paintings of Van Gogh and that has been with me for such a long time so it's books that I almost like know by heart uh, that I don't necessarily like go back to that often but I almost felt like though it's like a subconscious vibration that you're kind of like you know that phrase what is it standing on the shoulder of giants and all that stuff mm. like it's almost like the, I mean, the homage, books are all yeah. there but it did feel quite alive it didn't just feel like a dead library it felt like quite active I don't know there was just something about it on a vibrational level that I felt like was pushing you forward somehow I mean even just you know having like looking at the names and yes. being like oh okay yes like rem- remember all these people and like oh and, like oh you're struggling with this landscape like how about Monk like <laughs> like look at look, look at his nighttime painting so I feel like it's um, even the presence of kind of all these um, artists is helpful in a way like you're saying that's a good thing to talk about then so light and monk um, and if you think of like the Salman Tor image in this show of, of him walking through the fields at night the, walk the, back, the yeah. dusk or whatever you call it like that that time of day is so specific and the light is so specific um, can you speak a bit about your relationship to monk and and light and you know yeah so that painting um almost killed me <laughs> it was really? it took like four, i mean not really but it took like four months to make and this is the longest you spent on any paintings in this body yeah of work. Wow. yeah um and it's funny i was talking to gabby about it and i was texting her and i was like is it done is it done and she was like you know like sometimes you have to work on a painting longer than you want to <laughs> so i feel like just the idea um it was almost like an endurance piece in that sense that like it was so frustrating um and Monk, in a way, was a turning point for me in, ter- in considering that painting. Um, I was upstate, and there was at the Clark uh, a Monk landscape show, and they had all these like incredible night paintings where he um, used these like muted violets and um, kind of alizarin red and phthalo green, and um, kind of really was able to make a painting that felt chromatic and full of light, but very distinctively in the dark and I think that that was a big challenge for me because I think in the clubs there's still these like strobe lights and these very chromatic moments that you can rely on for contrast but when you're outside in the landscape and there's no like intense light source maybe like the moon or the stars but um wanting to kind of like be true to that experience where everything is very very limited in tone but still feels alive um yeah it was not was not easy. <laughs> it's interesting as well because in that painting particularly, I was thinking a lot about sound, which is what I think a lot about when I look at Monk's paintings. I mean, obviously the scream because there's the idea of someone screaming, but I often find in his paintings I can almost feel the breeze or feel you can kind of hear things. Do you know what I mean? Like whether it be birds or the trees um, whistling in the wind or something, you really have it in that painting. And the weirdest mm. thing is that took you so long to make, and it was obviously a 
labour of love for you. But for me, it's a very spontaneous painting. It's got this like motion and movement that you feel like you're there walking with your friends. Do you know what I mean? Like, even though I've never done it in Fire Island, you can imagine walking back even from a pub somewhere at night time and it's, you know, walking home or something. It had this really evocative sense of sound. Like and, and motion, I find it so curious that it's such a t- took a, such a long time to make. It was tortured, yeah. Um, but I think actually it's funny that you say this because I was thinking also a lot about Monet and specifically the Monet um, at MoMA, where you can't even see it all at once, or it's almost not the point to see it all at once. That the kind of most impactful way to experience is to just walk across it and experience. This is the lilies in a circle of the whole room, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's so big that you can really just kind of only take it in certain parts and seeing how the color changes like slowly and subtly as you walk is so radical. Oh, I see like a journey looking at the work. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then you take things in and then you it's are like having connections arc, isn't it, I visually. Guess. Which is how this exhibition works. You, you've got a narrative arc. It's like everyone's clubbing at night and then when you go upstairs in the space... It's everyone walking home, the walk back, and then it's the hangover on the beach mm-hmm. and trying to recover during the day. And it, it's, it's a, that narrative arc, was that something that you were conscious of on a curatorial level when you were making this body of work? You know, it's funny. This is the first body of work that's kind of focused on one subject for me. Um, so I didn't really know how to make it. So I think a lot of it kind of came together organically. Um, and as these like different pieces of the puzzle came together, I think it became clear that that is the narrative that's um, emerging. Um, Because I made, I think actually I made the beach painting, which is kind of like the last piece of the puzzle in a sense, kind of like the morning after, before I made Sunrise. Um, So it almost is like, okay, I need a certain kind of bridge. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really kind of came from the work and came from these moments that I was compelled to paint that then kind of necessitated other moments. God, you just said something that's really resonated with me, which is, it came from the work because I just think so many artists don't realize, um, younger artists in particular, that the work is the generator, that the studio is where you go to make the work. And out of that work will come the opportunities yeah. or will come the show. Or the ideas. And you have to like trust in the work and also your focus on painting regularly and, you know, having that passion that you so clearly have. I think such an important message. Sorry, that's just an off tangent thing, but. I don't know. Do you think, I don't know. I just find it sometimes people worry too much about networking or socializing rather than actually painting. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think trusting yourself is really hard as an Mm. artist um, because there's just no knowing. And even if, you know, I feel like I've um, was fortunate or unfortunate enough to have like, you know, support and recognition, but everybody of work, you don't know how it's going to turn out and how um, people are going to respond. So I think that it does require kind of, being alone in your studio and just listening to yourself and listening to the work and just having faith that it will work out that um, whatever it is that you're that I was trying to say is um, enough and will be uh, resonant with other people. So I think that but that's a really, you know, that's a really difficult thing to kind of a really difficult space to inhabit emotionally to, ha- to have that trust in yourself it's almost like a battle as well because like when i visited you i remember thinking you you were talking i could see it was such a physical thing almost like a boxing match between you and the canvas and like you'd be on this big 
big emotional journey with it. You were just visibly kind of moved by it, I could see. And um, Victoria was mentioning early, earlier when we were having a conversation before we recorded about Francis Bacon, who Russell's obsessed with. And um, you, I often think of his paintings a bit like that. There's this kind of violence and this energy that's almost like a fight or There's something. There's also, with Francis Bacon, there's a sense of chance and accident. You know, like he, he would be struggling with a painting and he would just make a mark and suddenly that mark for him resonates and changes the work completely and it becomes something else. Do you work in a capacity of chance and accident as well? I feel like in a way, it's like you never know what's going to happen when you, like in the transition between having a concrete idea and what actually occurs on the campus. Yeah. So even kind of having... Um, done certain moves like multiple times in the past like it's like okay i'm gonna like take diluted paint spray paint it on the canvas take a big squeegee like maybe the procedure in my mind will produce a certain outcome but Mm -hmm. it never happens in the way that i think it's gonna happen and then you have something that you need to respond to so i think it's it's to me it's about kind of being flexible and not being too tied down to an outcome but more trying to kind of have this um maybe idea of what you want the painting to feel and Mm. try to be open to the various ways that it could end up there um, and not be too heartbroken that the way that I thought it was going to get there is um, did not work out. Do you like your own work? So many artists find it hard to appreciate their own work and they put it out in the world. Are you someone that can stand beside your work and feel very proud? I definitely feel proud. Um, I think with this, this was a pretty difficult deadline. Um, and also like making it during a pretty difficult time. Um, so I think that just being able to finish the work um, and have it up and feel that I've grown as a painter making it to me is a source of pride. Has this, well, is, is this body of work then growing as a painter and working so long on paintings? Is this going to change the, your process going forwards? I think so. I hope oh. so. Um, I, I don't quite know what the next body of work is going to be, but I think that kind of this body of work taught me that I could overpaint something, quote unquote, um, and I can repaint it over and over again. And even though maybe the kind of freshness of the first touch, which I feel like a lot of, in a lot of my previous work was kind of this engine mm-hmm. um, is not present. It still can be resonant. So I think just like learning more about um, what I can do with my language, I think was really was really important for me. Um, and I hope that that will be part of future work as well. Mm-hmm. There's three paintings in the show that are uh, classic Duron ass paintings, ass one, <laughs> ass two, and ass Charlie, and they're a lot looser. Is Charlie a mutual friend, scale, Charlie? No comment. No comment? <laughs> <laughs> That's a yes. And then, so where, where did these asses appear? Was this within the club scene? Was this in the studio? And it, was it nice to sort of bring those more gestural versions of Deron Langberg into this exhibition where you, are, you do have paintings that you have been working on for months? That speed difference. Definitely. Um, a lot of the smaller work was um, kind of preparatory in a way for the bigger work. So mm-hmm. um, two out of the three ass paintings were preparatory for the wrecked painting. Um, so the main figure in the wrecked piece is kind of like 
facing away from the viewer, um, spreading their ass. Um, and I just remember being in a party and talking to a friend and he said something about like his ass being like his, his gift to the world. And I was like, okay, if someone feels this way about their ass, I need to paint it. Um, and I invited him to my studio and, and we made, actually it was a very productive day. We made like three paintings. Um, two of them are the, the ass paintings that were in the show and, um, so that was kind of the it's st- a nice ass I mean he's got a point it's a yeah I was he did not disappoint no no <laughs> no false advertising um and kind of similarly you know with our uh perhaps mutual friend yes <laughs> um your show is uh really um reaching out to artists so I've had loads of my artist friends be very jealous if they're in other countries because they didn't see the show yet and they're planning on coming to London oh, I feel like there's this real support for your work. And I think you're giving a lot of other um, painters courage. Even Tracy Emming called me this morning to say, like, what was the show like? Ah, you know, I oh sent her the PDFs. She <laughs> called me back, like, thrilled how good it is. Like, it's really interesting that there's so many different painters are inspired by you. But also now museums. And when I was in New York with you, I went to the Met and saw your painting on display there. Lovers at Night, yeah, 2023. Lovers at Night, which is just it was so, A, so incredible to see you in the Met. I mean, you walk through all those halls of the history of culture and art yeah, yeah. and artifacts and even ceramics and all kinds of things to get there. And it was this real, like, journey in a way, what we were talking about looking at your painting, a kind of walk through the history to get to that point. And I was so proud of you. I felt really emotional. I had Thank tears you. in my eyes. Like, it was a really sort of incredible moment. What does it feel like now to be at the stage where you're making these giant paintings and they're going to be shared with the world for, you know, for free these, or for ticketed museums, but in museums. institutions? Um, I mean, the Met moment was life-changing, yeah. to be honest. Um, and that was the last painting that I made for the previous body of work that I was kind of talking about being like super free and loose. Um, and just to have that level of kind of validation for that effort um, was really liberating in a way. And I think that that really kind of motivated me to take all the risks that, or not, or just, you know, make all the changes that I did for this body of work. Um, Cause I was like, okay, like this is something I worked towards for a really long time, kind of like developing, you know, this language combining really loose handling and kind of rendering and, um, you know, trying to create this like emotional world that's also representational. Um, and then for it to end up in the Met, I'm like, okay, like this now, this maybe this chapter has kind of closed and it's time to be more ambitious and to wow. try new, like just new things. So and- inspiring then for you. For so, it's so important that moment as an artist to be recognized on that level and be put into that conversation with all of those historical artists. Yeah. But that's also pushed you as an artist like, what you can achieve. I mean, I think that validation could be, it could, you know, it could, it could do many things, but I feel like it is transformative. Um, Mm. And I think that it does, I think that, you know, for me at least, it really gave me the freedom to um, try new things. And also, you're, you're, you're very, very close now, installed to, like, Georgia O'Keeffe. There was even, like, a Cecily Brown uh, solo show within the museum. Salman Tour. Uh, and Salman Tour. Yeah. And actually Denzel as well. They had a big yes. Denzel work. Yeah, exactly. And Salman Tour, yeah. And it, it just felt like, when I saw the Georgia O'Keeffe after seeing yours, I, it got me thinking about what's happening in Venice now. You've got a new exhibition after this one of your flower paintings. And it, for some reason, I had this really, like, moment of pride. I was like, because I love Georgia O'Keeffe. And I know it's a different aesthetic, but uh, the way she no, paints and stuff. But incredible. I imagine you would love her yeah 
Um, yeah, can you talk a bit about the flower paintings in Venice and um, that whole other series that maybe some people aren't as uh, familiar with? Um, so as we were kind of working on the on the London show, Victoria proposed to do a show in Venice, which is the gallery's other space. I love it there as well. It's a beautiful space. Very different architecturally, obviously, to London. <laughs> I actually, I, I haven't, I've never seen it, so I'm really excited I to saw go an amazing and... Chris Ophelia exhibition there, which was all smaller works, and it was just exquisite. And actually, the idea of the walk again, you sort of walked through it, and it would tell a story. And also the colour associations you have from each work. Um, it kind of ends up leaving you with a feeling. You know, when you, when you leave the show, you kind of have this memory of the show. It's a beautiful space. I mean, Crystal Feely would have that effect, for sure. Yeah, oh, love. Um, but the work in Venice is all um, small paintings from observation um, that I made in Fire Island and in Yokneam, which is where I grew up. Um, just kind of like on the mountain range near my parents' house. Um, so all these different flowers. I think that the show actually um, is paintings from different seasons, just from different times that I would go home. So I think sunflowers from the summer, uh, some anemones from um, the spring, um, and then shrubbery from, you know, Fire Island dunes. Yeah, and last night at dinner, we had the most beautiful uh, flowers on the table, and it m kept making me think of your paintings. They were poppies, I think, last night, were they? Or... They were anemones. Oh, yeah. anemones, yeah. okay. Anem oh my God, I can never pronounce it. Um, but no, the flowers were such a surprise. I didn't know that they were going to, you know, the gallery they, was going to It was really weird. Up. They were really evocative, and it kept making me think of your paintings. It was... I mean, I'm obsessed with flowers, obviously, so I, for, for me, it was such a, like, a <gasps> moment what, what when was, I so saw them. Is it the first time you've had a body of work of just the flowers. I know there's one image of there of, of, of a singular figure, but the flowers have appeared in other exhibitions as a moment, but this is a whole show baited up for flowers. Yeah, yeah, this was the first time. And I think it, it was a good kind of mirror to the show in London that also focuses on a singular subject matter. So I think kind of having those two um, different ends of my practice is really fun to, what is to it do. about flowers like what why are they an important subject matter for you because i noticed recently like jordan castile a friend of ours in america has started to make the most exquisite very different to your work yeah. but exquisite flower paintings and also alexandria tava who's a really emerging artist we just interviewed her and she she was taught by maureen gallas and does repeated uh, kind of groupings of flowers again very different painting style but but what, what is it for you that speaks to you about that direct relationship with the human and flowers um, I think flowers, to me also, I mean, personally, I love flowers and I've always kind of like, um, when I was, I don't know, like a teenager, I would like buy flowers all the time. So I think it's just something, For yourself. Yeah, it's just something that I love, but I feel like it's something that I think many people share, which is something that's important to me, that to have subject matter that could speak broadly. Um, but also within painting, within the history of painting, it's almost like, you know, like the ultimate frontier of painting. It's like almost the subject matter that is most painting about painting, if that makes sense. Mm. Like if you think of someone like Manet, like those last like flower paintings, um, it's almost like Manet at his most uh, kind of like the peak of his facility, um, choosing a subject matter that he could kind of like express that facility um, most beautifully. Um, so I think that also art historically, there's just such a, um, it's almost like the, I don't know, the Olympics of painting in a way is through flower paintings. I think you've also said that painting flowers feels like painting a friend. The motivation is the same. 
Yeah, I think that the familiarity with the spaces, um, you know, Fire Island and where I grew up um, in Yokenam, like, facilitated that connection. I don't feel like I would be compelled to paint kind of the natural environment anywhere else. Um, or I haven't until this point, and I'm sure other spaces will will kind of open up, but it, it really requires an emotional connection for me as well. Um, yeah. So not just content to open night at Victoria Mirror Gallery in London and flowers at Victoria Mirror Gallery in Venice, you now have another exhibition, which is your first institutional European solo show, a title part of your world, which is a Little Mermaid quote. Yes. Right. <laughs> Theus. Where, where is that? In Rotterdam. And that's at the Kunstdaal Rotterdam. Yeah, it opens Rotterdam. the 1st February to the 26th of May. And this is 16 new and recent works. Does this follow a theme or is this a grouping that shows your oeuvre? It is, yeah, a broader grouping, um, which to me, again, like I was saying before, kind of expressing you know, like my connection to different aspects of my life. Um, and it's a collection from the last, like, maybe two, three years of work. Yeah. Rotterdam, you, I love it there. Are you exhausted? This is a lot of work. <laughs> um, a little bit, a little bit. It was a pretty intense deadline, as I said. <laughs> Have you, are you giving yourself a break now? Yeah, for sure. I think I just, I feel like after every body of work, it's really a question of kind of regroup and just figure out what it is that, um, like, where am I? What's going on? What it is that I want to say? Like, I think it's, um, it always takes a few months for me to get back to painting in a serious way after finishing a show. Do you get post-show blues? Like, because I know a lot of artists, like, even the few days afterwards, it's always a bit of a downer. Well, anybody creative, I think, after yeah, yeah, you've done yeah. a performance or you put totally. something out there, it's this sort of drop of adrenaline. For sure, and also I feel like there's something, as much as the deadlines are difficult, I think it's such a sense of purpose. Um, and it, for me, being in the, in the studio is so centering. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives me so much meaning to know that I'm like working towards something and being really, really invested in a project. And suddenly for that to drop, you're like, wait, what is what does this world mean? Like, what am I doing? Like, where is my place? Um, so I feel like when I'm not painting... It's very, um, I feel very disoriented. So I think that, yeah, that's probably going to be the next few months for okay. me. Yeah. Well, before we get to our final questions, I just want some quick fire studio questions for artists. Yeah. Yeah. How often are you in your studio? I try to be there Monday through Friday. What materials do you use? What paint company? Oh, company. Um, I'm a Williamsburg girl. Um, I recently tried Old Holland being like, okay, I should like, Try the best. Um, and, you know, it wasn't that much better than Williamsburg. So, Ooh. yeah. So, low to Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. What are the canvases you use and do you stretch them yourself? I have a friend make the um, bars for me. It's a, he has like a, a shop called It Is Framing. Um, and they're incredible. They don't warp. They um, are really beautiful. So I have the frames ordered and then I have an assistant that I love that we stretch together. Um, And it's like linen and we do rabbit skin glue and oil ground. Do you know the scale you want to work on before you get them made or do you just get ones made and think I'm going to make something on that? 
I have like only two or three sizes that I work on, which is 18 by 24, 50 by 60, um, and 96 by 80. And then the larger paintings are kind of diptychs or triptychs. And honestly, I feel like I've considered changing, you know, trying to kind of tailor the size of the canvas to the images that I'm going to paint. But it just feels like it's too, I like how modular it is and that I feel like it allows me to kind of not think about the size and be, um, it almost like I've digested that size so much and it's kind of part of almost like my brush strokes at this point. Um, so I feel like it's, it's, it's easier when I don't have to think about it. I like the idea you go Monday to Friday. So it's quite like, you know, it's like going to work. And I know that you live in Manhattan. I was joking with your um, husband last night that you uh, have to you do an hour Brooklyn, long. Don't you? Where are you now? No, Manhattan. No, they're in Manhattan. Oh. And you have to do like an hour long train journey every day, which um, might be really annoying for you. But I was actually thinking maybe it's a good thing for you because it gives you that kind of distance from the insanity of the, of the passion in the studio. Um, what do you think about when you're on that train? Do you listen to music or do you think about the work? Is it like... I sometimes think about the work. I feel like on the way back... Because, you know, I, we all kind of, like, I take a lot of photos of my paintings as I work on them and then just, like, stare at them at the subway. And sometimes I like to, you know, when you can draw on your photos mm -hmm. on the phone. So I feel like I do that and try to be like, okay, like, what am I going to try tomorrow? Oh, really? Yeah. So it's like a little bit of processing. Um, a lot Photoshop. of Photoshop. Hmm? A little Photoshop sort yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, a lot of Instagram, just staring, just kind of like, I think in the end of the day, I'm just like out of it. Um, so doom that, scrolling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Doom scrolling. Do you listen to music in the studio? Yes. What? Um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Bjork gay. So I feel like there's always a lot of Bjork. Um, and so William, Williamsburg queen, a Bjork gay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of Robin, a lot of Jesse, uh, Jesse Ware or Jesse J? Jesse Ware. Yeah. Jesse uh, Ware. Oh my God. A lot of Omar okay. Apollo, of course. Yes, of course. Uh, Troy. You know, just like the. What Troy the, Savan. Yeah. Oh. What just do you what eat? What the queers listen to, yeah. What do you eat and drink? Oh my God. There's like a the most amazing sandwich shop next to my studio. Um, and it's like this like French, like super rich sandwiches that I always swear that I'm not going to get, but get it every single day. Um, and called the Bushwick Canteen. Um, and it's really good. You've been painting since you were six. What was the work like that you were painting as a kid? Because so many artists, the first things they ever did as a kid sort of has remained the oh, same yeah. as they've got older. What were you looking at then and doing? Um, actually, it's funny because my <laughs> very early painting... Um, a lot of them are of flowers. So I think are that they? in a way, so yeah, like roses and the peacock feather, like just in like campy, like very, you know, my child is gay kind of work. My child is gay kind of work. And my first painting is of the Little Mermaid. Um, yeah, you're part of her world. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like to me, it's all... It's like when I started painting flowers again, I think it was around 2020, um, I was like, oh, this is just something that I hadn't allowed myself to go back to, not something that like was never, you know, it kind of always was part of yeah. my, um, what I loved. But is I just, that like on an embarrassment level in terms of like when you become a teenager and then you start worrying what everyone thinks of you? Did yeah, it take you like, time oh, to need, find I your need... confidence again? Exactly. It's like, oh, now I need to be serious. Um, but I feel like realizing that like flowers are actually 
very serious. So, yeah. They're very serious. Love this. <laughs> so, let's get into our final questions. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank as you, ever. guys. If you could do an art heist, you could have any artwork in the world for yourself, what would it be and why? It needs to be different from last time. I know. <laughs> what was last time? I can't remember. The Bonard. Oh, it was oh, yes. Bonard. Um, yeah. A bath one. Yeah. You know, I actually did not prepare this time because I did not think you were going to ask. It could be like a contemporary work, something you've yeah, seen yeah. recently or something. It doesn't have to be historical. Um, I think we're going to stick with historical. Um, but I think that that monk landscape that I saw at the Clark was just so mind-blowing. I, don't, I can't tell you the title, but it was um, a nightscape and it was gorgeous. Mm. And uh, what is your favorite color? Um, you know, after this, after this body of work, um, I have to say that the combination between alizarin crimson and um, um, phthalo green, which makes the most incredible black. What kind of crimson? Alizarin crimson. Oh, right. That sounds like a drag name. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good drag name named after paints. And what is the best advice you've ever received in terms of your work? Uh, no one owes you anything. <laughs> no one owes you anything. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's kind of, it's kind of dark, but I remember moving to New York, um, and one of my professors was in the same building as I was. Um, and she was like, I, I, I love her. And she was very, very direct. And she was like, you know, like when I moved to New York, like you just like expect so much to happen and it could be so crushing. And, um, it really is best to kind of just understand that like no one no one owes you anything that really come without with no expectation make your work um and things will come from that because i think that you know for it's just such a it's such a difficult process to um or a frustrating process i think to try and get traction as an artist and i think that focusing on that and hinging your practice on that um could be so demoralizing and kind of counterproductive so really just focusing on the work, focusing on studio, um, without expecting anything to come of it is really the most, it's only the only way to stay sane as a painter. I have one more question, sorry. Do you think about curation? When you make your work, do you make the work and give it over to Victoria Miro Gallery and allow them to curate it? Or are you heavily involved in the placement of your images? I mean, with, this, with the process of this show, um, you know, Victoria and Glenn were just so brilliant in hanging the work. And I did kind of like a first draft of the install. Um, and then Victoria came in and moved a few things and made it a lot better. Um, so I think I have, I have full, full trust in them. Um, but I think, you know, it being a second show here, I kind of knew what the structure was and I can kind of envision the work in the space. So I think that helped as well. Something that struck me, which I told you, Anglin, last night was the lighting in the first room when you're downstairs and you walk into the first space, the spotlights on them. I was so shocked because I'd seen them in the studio in daylight and they looked quite different actually. And it worked so well because yeah. it had that intensity of focus. It's luminous. It felt kind of museum-y as well, but it was actually, it felt like you were in that club as well. There's a, there was something really special about the lighting, which I don't even normally think about in a show, but I just felt like the paintings were singing. You know what I mean? Like they, there was like a joyousness. Vibrating. Oh, yeah. it was so well installed. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that, that's really, you know, the, the text that Lydette did is such an incredible job. Um, there was so much glare because the paintings were darker. Um, and in order for that color to not sink in, I had to kind of work 
to I had to like oil the paintings out, uh, which means you just take a little linseed oil at the end and rub it on the surface of the oh, painting. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Um, what does that do? It when you're using dark colors and oil, when they dry, they tend to kind of sink into the surface. Um, so if they become using, flatter, don't they? Almost exactly, like... they dry flatter, which is not a problem if the tones are lighter. But with these paintings, um, to kind of bring out the subtle differences between like a green dark and a red dark, you kind of I had to kind of use a slightly shinier surface, um, and that's like a headache to to light. So I think that that was actually a way to um, install them and light them that kind of really brought all the all those differences out. I love all that attention to detail and that care and passion and love that you put into every yeah. brushstroke. You really feel it in this show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And thank you for your generosity of like speaking to us for this long because I know it's a lot um, after, your, <laughs> after your opening night. I'm yeah. very grateful. Um, and so also, everyone listening, please come down to Wharf Road, Victoria Miro Gallery. If you haven't been here before, you're crazy. You yep. need to get down here. The exhibition um, runs from the 29th of January to 28th of March. It's 16 Wharf Road and it's open Tuesday to Saturday. Then also, if you're in Venice, Flowers is at the Victoria Miro Gallery there. That opens start of February? February 3rd. February 3rd. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and that's on for... A while. Well, there we till, March, till March 28th. Till March 28th. Okay. And then also, if you're in Rotterdam or you want to make a trip out to Rotterdam, the Kunstdal Rotterdam from the 1st February to 26th of May, your first solo institutional European show, Part of Your World, Little Mermaid, uh, who you painted <laughs> as a kid, and now you're using the quotes from to title your shows, which is amazing. That's also on. So, And then online, there's this amazing text, as Rob was talking about. In the yeah, intro. well, you can come to London to the show. Um, it's Angel Islington or Old Street Tubes, either kind of equidistant walking 10 minutes. Um, but you can actually take home the, the, the text by Hannah Bear, and I think it's a beautiful text, and it really contributes a lot, actually. Um, without sort of taking away from your skill and your painting, it's just its own thing. It's a really beautiful um, we didn't yeah, talk about the National anyway. Portrait Gallery either. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. Because you've portrait. painted Russell. Yes. And also, that's now in the collection on display. You can go to the National Portrait Gallery and there's a portrait by Durant of, of me that we painted while I was filming uh, Angels in America, while I was filming um, American Horror Story and I've got a moustache. Oh, your Tash. And we did that in your studio. What was that like for you, painting Ross? So fun. I mean, Russell is always a pleasure to hang out with. So oh. it was really chill. Right? We had fun. How long did day. it take you to make that? Was it a day painting? It was really like an hour. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty quick painting. Because that think was that... the body of work before this, wasn't it? Where it was a bit more fluid and about light and colour and more brush stroke. Like painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so get to the National Portrait Gallery as well. Yeah. Um, also, I loved what you did at the... Were you at the Frick? I was, yeah, right after my Hidden first History. show. Was oh, yes, that's yeah, right. That, I love the fact that Frick is supporting so many queer artists because I think that they're doing things with all kinds of um, emerging painters and stuff right now. Yeah, that was an incredible project um, called Living Histories, um, which it was Salman and I in the first iteration and then Jenna Gribben yes, Jenna. and Toyin Aruta in the second yeah, iteration. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was such a privilege. I think it's continuing as well. I think they're going to do more with other artists. It's really exciting. The Frick are very cool. Well, look, thank you, Doron. Thank, thank you, you to Victoria Miro. And it was such an honor to speak oh, to her Oh, Instagram now, at Doron Langberg. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be connecting you. And thank you to Glenn Scott, right, and everybody in the team here. They've been so generous and kind to us. And we loved um, being there last night to celebrate you. And we'll be back very soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode. With music. 
mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talkart at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.